Dr. Lucille Campy was born here in Ottawa, and she's a professional researcher and historian, has a master's degree in medieval history from Leeds University in the UK, and a PhD from Aberdeen University in emigration history. She's the author of 13 books on early Scottish, English, and Irish emigration to Canada. Was the recipient of the 2016 Prix de Quebec, and she lives in Salisbury in Wilshire, in England and Lucille is on the line with me and we're going to have a chat about what is the upcoming and about to be published Ontario and Quebec's Irish pioneers farmers laborers and lumberjacks Lucille thanks a million for taking the time to have a chat oh it's lovely to be able to chat to you about about this subject which is very dear to my heart I have to confess that when I was reading the first chapter uh, there was a line in there and uh, we're going to talk about it and it was that many um, Irish, particularly Irish in Canada, focus on the famine and that that's a bit of a, a false place to focus and my immediate reaction was, what? You know, it's if the Irish haven't suffered during the famine. But <laughs> as I read on, it was that prior to the famine there has been, there is such a wealth of history that has not really been covered. Yes, well, I, I certainly didn't say that the Irish didn't suffer in the famine because there were about 17,000 deaths in 1847 of people crossing the Atlantic. But I think what's happened is that because of the horrific uh, death toll and suffering of that one year in 1847, it has become uh, it's overtaken the, 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 the saga of uh, of immigration from Ireland to Canada and in a very unfortunate way because it, it, it doesn't, I'm not saying that it isn't important that we recognize the, the tragedy and that we, um, we, we uh, sympathize with, with people who have ancestors who suffered in that way. But what we should also recognize is the enormity of the pioneering achievements of the Irish which don't get talked about as much as they should. Uh, because I think a very important point to make is that most Canadians who have Irish ancestry will be able to trace their ancestry back to before 1847. In other words, I mean, I'm not saying that 1847 isn't important to recognize, but that Irish immigration goes back a very long way. And not only is it a case of recognizing the, the great achievements that the Irish made, well, there are, there are two aspects of the Irish which make them different from the Scots and English. And um, the, the first difference is they were tremendous networkers. They could work out and find out where the best opportunities were before anybody else. And combined with that, and this is pretty well unique to the Irish, they ran a system of, of, of basically self-help. And the deal was that if you could raise enough money to cross the Atlantic to get a job or to start as a farm laborer or even if you're well off enough to buy some land, the very first priority you had was to raise enough money so that somebody else could follow you. You sent that money, it was known as a remittance scheme, and you sent that money back to Ireland to a friend or to somebody in your family and said, there you are you can come and, 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 and have a better life too. And then the person who brought that money came across and they did the same. And this, this was something that the Irish did, which was almost unique to them. It was a little bit of that with the English. 
So, you know, and that, that demonstrates to me uh, that the story of Irish emigration is of people wanting to better themselves. You know, you only do this sort of thing if you believe you're going to get a better life. Indeed. Now, when, when I said that, you know, I balked a little, uh, it was more, again, it wasn't, it was more just an initial balk and it wasn't anything negative in that sense. But mm-hmm. when I was chatting with my brother-in-law, who's in Ireland, and he said that the North American, particularly Canadian perception, uh, tends to be that, yes, there's this 1847 uh, as a key pivotal time. But he said in Ireland, he would have associated, as you just said, prior to 1847, the mass migration that was happening in the early 1800s. Oh, so I thought that was an interesting comment coming from him. That's right. And the other interesting thing that for me is the uh, way in which the Irish went to Quebec in such great numbers. I mean, they, they outnumbered the English and Scots put together. Um, they, they, and it wasn't just Catholics joining Catholics in French Canada, which is what, you know, Quebec was Catholic. Plenty of Protestant Irish came, you know. And, and also the fact that they were having to rub shoulders with people who spoke another language didn't seem to bother them. You know, the Irish made, were, were tremendously successful in Quebec province. And uh, I, I devoted three chapters to them because there was so much to say about them, you know, in the areas north and south of Quebec City, north and south of Montreal, and in the eastern townships. They were really big stories. Well, when you mention the big stories, yes, they're huge stories because there were so many aspects and so many layers where mm. uh, you pointed out how the Scottish and the English um, came as well as the Irish came. And it was interesting to note how the Scottish and the English received government help and the Irish did not. Yeah. Yeah, politics, eh? I mean, politics in a big way because, I mean, you had at the time, you know, uh, Catholics were discriminated against, something shocking. Um, in Quebec... Uh, was the only part, would you believe, the only part of the British Empire where being a Catholic meant you could get a job and you weren't discriminated against. But that didn't mean necessarily that life was all that easy for you if you were um, a a Catholic um, Irish person. So that um, religion was an issue throughout because basically Britain, the British Empire and the people who ran Canada were well it's Protestant wasn't it um, elite Protestant and, and the, the rulings they had and the assumptions they made about who was going to be a good settler and who was going to be reliable did not necessarily favour the Irish and to that end what was also interesting I found uh, was that uh, you mentioned how the Irish arrived and they were dealing with the language issue and it was fascinating to see how much uh, of a population the Irish then represented in various settlements to the I point know. ultimately where they were able to successfully lobby and demand their own English-speaking priest. Absolutely. I know. And, and I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to the, some of these regions, particularly north of Quebec, which were... Well, they they go back a long way, right to the the first first, um, arrival of the first immigrants from France, you know, places like like Beauport, way up north of Quebec. I mean, great wildernesses at the time. And and the the fact that 
Um, I mean, obviously the land was good. I mean, the, the Irish just went in these great numbers up to these areas, which I think most people would have felt rather frightened of going to, you know. But they, um, and the, the, the trick was, I think the way, it, way, the reason why they were so successful um, is that they went in great groups. You know, extended families joined extended families, and they uh, were soon big enough to have a, an, an Irish priest and and so forth. The other aspect on religion I found fascinating was how the Scottish and the English uh, were catered for by Scottish and English clergy yeah. and that the yeah. Irish Protestants yeah. uh, were not and that no. they had to integrate uh, with the Scottish or the English. And that That's right. They either had to go to the Anglican Church or, or the Presbyterian Church. Where they were not necessarily welcomed. No, it was not. It was not good. <laughs> no, no, it was tough. Absolutely. Indeed. So, in dealing again with Quebec, what was also interesting and fascinating was you mentioned that, you know, people came in through um, Quebec City and through Gros, well, ultimately Grosseil. Yeah. But how then? Um, it was so tough, and as you said, the Irish were astute and good networkers that they yeah. figured out there's places better to be than here and abandoned and moved yeah. on. Yeah. Well, this is this is where the, the uh, Irish were so different from the French. I mean, the French ended up taking over the whole of Quebec province because they didn't budge. Whereas the Irish, um, I mean, as, I, as we both say, are, are great networkers, and they, many of them had family in various parts of the United States or in up and of the future Ontario, and they would read how much easier life was and how much better the rates of pay were or how much better money you'd get for your grain and your cattle. So um, they all, what usually happened, it was the children of the first pioneers who would say, well, when uh, land is pretty uh, tight here, when I grew up and I'd got enough money, I'm going to join Uncle So-and-so in Massachusetts or, uh, you know, my, my brother's cousin in, in uh, near Kitchener or what have you. I mean, that's how, that's how it worked. Yes, they were, they were always trying to work out where their best prospects were. Um, and so, I mean, exactly the same as the Scots and the English in that respect, but I would just add that, that quite different, in fact, with the French who stayed put in Quebec province and today, if you go to Quebec, you think you're in, a, you think you're in another country because everybody's speaking French. Now, the other fact that I found that I'd never known was that the American border moved. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that fascinating. Yes. And why it was why it was redrawn, and the, why there was an impact on the Irish because there were those who were on one side or the other and had been crossing over and back. But yes. that the actual American border with the U.S. was redrawn uh, yeah. at, at a point was interesting. That's, that's right. Yeah. Well, the, the, again, we're, got, we're into politics because the, until about 1830, the British were desperately worried they were going to lose Canada to the Americans. And so much of their uh, policy with regard to encouraging immigrants to settle in various areas were designed to try and, 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 and uh, put 
what they would regard as um, uh, uh, settlers who would be favorable to Britain uh, in areas where the Americans might wish to plot. And so that, uh, the, that was really why the position of the American border was really quite important. It was that. It was always determined by uh, how reliable they were. And of course, another aspect was that uh, Canada, the Canadian authorities were very alarmed at the number of um, Canadian, uh, 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 the number of Canadians who were going across the United States. They were trying their best to try and, and stop that from happening. So uh, then the role of immigration agents, like uh, there was Buchanan and there was uh, like the Peter Robinson um, mm. settlements. Mm. How, how did these agents evolve or who would have instigated that these people should take on the yeah. Yeah, they were really, really important uh, as far as um, the story of the Irish in Ontario is concerned. I mean, uh, Peter Robinson uh, was the brother of the Attorney General at the time and a really good man. And he helped several hundred Irish from Cork, um, Catholics in Cork, uh, to settle in the Ottawa Valley and also near the Peterborough region of Canada. And, and he was superb. I mean, they, they, he just, he did everything uh, very, 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 very carefully, and he won their support. He, um, the letters that were written home spoke with great affection and admiration of this man. So, I mean, it was, everybody was lucky that they had a good and kind and sensible chap there uh, to, to run things. Now, uh, James Buchanan is something completely different. James Buchanan was the brother of Alexander Buchanan, the immigration agent in Quebec, and James was a, uh, an official in New York City, he was the British consul in New York City, and James had reported back uh, to his brother Alexander that uh, New York City was full of Irish people, Irish immigrants who weren't all that content and actually would prefer to live in Canada. And so somebody got the idea, well, what we should do is help them financially to get to Canada. And so James Buchanan is believed to have um, run a scheme, an assistance scheme, uh, whereby about six or 7,000 Irish people who were living in New York City and in the area around New York City uh, to move to um, Ontario. And they mainly settled in the area to the west of present-day Toronto. And that was hugely successful. They were, um, they were, they were often uh, quite skilled uh, farmers. Many of them had been laborers working on the Erie Canal. I mean, they were. Everybody won then. You know, they they had a, a much better life. They could become farmers. They were going nowhere in New York, and 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 um, people spoke highly of them. Oh, you mentioned there that uh, they were assisted in in migrating from New York, yeah. as were yeah. the English and the Scottish. And one of the questions that struck me as I was reading this was, well, where was the money coming from? Was it the British Parliament? Or yes, the British, the, British, the, the British were very uh, subtle in the way they assisted the Irish. They, they were open in the, in the way they gave funds for the Scots and the English to be subsidized. You had a lot of, um, of poor agricultural laborers from various parts of England who were assisted by their parish councils uh, to go to Canada. And, and similarly, some of the Highland Scots were assisted by their landlords. But it's very difficult to find anything equivalent for the Irish. The assistance given to the Irish was 
um, I think more focused to have all the money that went into supporting Peter Robinson and his group and, and the money that went into supporting James Buchanan and all the people he attracted from New York to Ontario. Um, it was almost as if the British government were keeping a very close eye on who was, who was being helped and, and where they were going. And it all goes back to, in my opinion, to, to these religious issues, that the British government was a little bit worried about having too many Irish Catholics close to French Catholics in Quebec, and maybe that was going to cause trouble. It was all that sort of thing. And the other fascinating, well, ever, there was so much that was fascinating in this. I noticed that in the census, I think it was 1881, that uh, 3,900 Irish were on the South Shore and was it 6,900 were on the North Shore mm. in Montreal, mm. which was a mm. combined 10,000 Irish born mm. in the Montreal region mm. at that time. Yeah, I mean, anyway, Montreal was the most important Irish city in the whole of North America. It was, it was really Irish. I, for a while in Montreal, I worked for Canadian Industries Limited in Montreal way back when, and I can remember on St. Patrick's Day, Montreal pretty well, you know, closed down and everybody went and watched the parade. Very, very Irish. Yeah, and when you, when you come to the, the chapter on the famine, um, you will come to the, the, the terrible happening of, of, you know, Victoria, you know, Victoria Bridge in Montreal. Well, it was, the labor force for that was Irish. And when the Irish laborers were digging, they found an awful lot of bodies. And the bodies they found were the victims of the famine. It was an emigration shed near Griffintown, which was where the uh, Irish suburb in Montreal was. And uh, there is now a, 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 a rock, a memorial, uh, for the, the many Irish who died um, in the famine years. But that... It's very eerie because when I worked to in, in, in uh, just outside of Montreal, I went across the Victoria Bridge every day and I never knew about that. When we talked about religion as well, uh, some of the churches that were built uh, in, Sher in uh, Springbrook's village, mm -hmm. 1836, yeah. 1837, yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, other villages as well, and then St. Patrick's Church in Montreal, 1847. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huge building projects that would have cost a lot of money. I know, I know. Uh, Guelph, I don't know if you've ever seen the church in Guelph. It's enormous. And these are still standing. I know, I know, yeah. So getting on to some of the appendix then, this, uh, well, when we move into the Ottawa Valley, that's another huge story. Of oh, yes, the Ottawa Valley was really, Irish were, were mainly concentrated. It was all, you know, in, in amazingly <laughs> Irish. About eight counties in 47 townships uh, uh, you had a majority of Irish. And yes, uh, as I mentioned earlier on in the census, uh, or in the late 1800s, that the population of many locations was as high as 70% Irish-born. Yes, I know. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. And yes, as we look around now, um, which would be 150-odd years later, that oh. the population of Irish and Irish descendants has oh. been greatly diluted. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, many more French than there were in the time um, of my book. Yes, indeed, and, and, uh, and other immigrants as well, but uh, yes, it is diluted. Now, I want to uh, come to one of the appendices, because you start uh, in 1817, in June of 1817 is when you start your list of ships. Yeah, yeah. And there are approximately 50 pages 
of yeah. listings yeah. of ships. Of yeah, all lovingly, most of them lovingly um, obtained from the Quebec Mercury. <laughs> yes. But the number of people, again, that the, it is illustrating is the constant steady flow that yeah. was happening all over that period, way before That's 1847. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I'd, like the numbers, as you said, that the Irish were sending uh, money back to encourage the, the yeah, rest of the yeah. family. Yeah. On that note, I also noticed, and you mentioned it as well, how good the Irish were at networking, that when the Irish, uh, even down around um, what would be uh, Belleville area, and yeah. Uh, yeah. That they were yeah. writing, uh, asking, could they be granted specific tracts of land? Yeah. Even yeah, though they were absolutely. not physically there themselves, these tracts of yeah. land, somebody had identified and set up. Of course, absolutely, yeah. I know they, they had such precise knowledge of what, what, the, of what the land uh, picture was and, and where it was. They, 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 could, they, they knew uh, the, the importance of being close to a town because that meant you didn't have to carry your produce so far to the market. You know, they, they had it all down. They knew exactly what they were doing. Now, I'm going to go back to generic because the volume of work that you must have put into this, the mm. amount of research, and also mm. the previous 13 books. I know it's, yeah. a, it's a fantastic labor of love that is a lifetime's mm. work. How long have mm. you been working on this particular one? Um, I did the work on this in two years. Two years, one year to get the data, and of course it's me and my husband. My husband uh, uh, did the, the, the ship listing. My husband did all of the research in, in identifying the ship crossings and the people, and he does the tables as well and, and gets the illustrations. But I took a year uh, to get the material, and uh, I got it, of course, in, in Ireland. Uh, there's some fantastic, the, the Pony Public Record Office of Northern Ireland, if, if, if you have not been there, is unbelievable. It's a joy to visit. And, and the National Library of Ireland is another place which is just unbelievable. So I, I was well served by the two Irish places, and then, of course, I, I, I visited archives across Canada. Lucille, Chapter 10, Irish Arrivals During the Great Famine of 1847. And again, that one year is very much a pivotal part of people's psyche, yeah. particularly in Canada. Um, and what you've covered in the book puts it, uh, the whole history prior to that very much uh, aware of it. Um, but that period itself is also very much a landmark in the history of the Irish in Canada. Yes. Yes, 1847 is a terrible landmark for the fact that you had 17,000 deaths of Irish people crossing the Atlantic or when they were in quarantine afterwards. Absolutely. Um, there, there is nothing you can say about that other than to say, what a tragedy. Um, uh, you can commend the people of Quebec um, for the way in which they rallied round the priests who went to help um, uh, it, it's, it is a terrible, terrible story. I mean, the famine itself, I mean, millions, a couple of million people, I think it is, died in the, in the famine overall. I mean, it is just a terrible, terrible happening. Um, as far as I might add, I mean, the famine death, um, uh, not that it, it makes it any easier or any better, but I think as, as a matter of, of, of understanding what went wrong, 
um, it was it was basically um, typhus. Uh, they they got um, infected with typhus, and and what what you can see from the statistics I show in in my book is that any immigrants who sailed from Liverpool or Cork, the two big ports, um, often uh, on the ships that left from those ports had very high death rates. But if you sailed from, uh, say, from Limerick, a smaller port, or Sligo, uh, the death rates were on the whole quite small. And um, if, if there is one terrible lesson that should have been learned, and, and, and I think you have to blame the British government for this, is that the, uh, before people sailed from the big ports, particularly Liverpool, they, they were put up in boarding houses in Liverpool. Well, the boarding houses were, were places where you, you picked disease because they weren't very clean. And if you, if you were feeling okay before you got to the boarding house, probably by the time you left the boarding house, you'd picked up typhus. And once you got a disease like that on the ship, and before they knew how to control disease and how it was spread, I mean, it, it just, if you happened to be immune to it, you survived. If you didn't, you didn't survive. But I think my, my looking back, I think one terrible thing, mistake that was made was that they should have had stricter regulations to control um, these uh, levels in, 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 in Liverpool boarding houses. That would have saved lives. Um, Lucille, we should wrap up and let everybody know. Saturday, September 8th, you are actually here in Ottawa. Yes. Uh, you will be at the uh, chamber in the Ben Franklin place, which is at 101 Centrepoint Drive. Indeed. And indeed. that is indeed where Centrepoint Theatre is also. Yep. And that's at 10 a.m. to 11.30, you're scheduled to be there. That's right. Um, do I understand that uh, you are, is there a book launch or will you be doing any book signings at yes. that? Yes, I'll be doing some book signing there. Yes, there will be uh, somebody uh, representing my, my publisher, Don Dern of Toronto, and my books will be there, and I'll be very happy to sign any books. And while you're over on this trip, have you any other um, venues that you'll be in attendance? Yes, yes I'm going to be uh, speaking in Toronto on, on Tuesday, the 11th of September, um, to the OGS, Ontario Genealogical Society, Irish Special Interest Group, and that's open to the public as well. And that's at 7 p.m. in the evening at the Lansing United Church, 49 Bogart Avenue in Toronto. And any others that we should mention? No, that's it. That's it. And if anybody wants to find you, um, should they go under the publisher or should they, where should yeah. Yes, that would be the best thing because I'm going to be moving around a lot and after I leave Toronto, I'm going on to Calgary and Saskatoon to learn more about the Irish who settled in the prairies. Fantastic. So, And if somebody wants to get their hands on the book and they're not able to get link up with you when you're here, where should we direct them? Well, I think my publisher, Don Dern, would be the best. I mean, I have a website. I mean, the best, the other thing would be to just contact me on my website. I, I've got a website called The Irish in Canada. It will give you an email specific to The Irish in Canada. And if anybody does a search in Google for Lucille Campy, and that is C-A-M-P-E-Y. I will be found, yeah. Lucille, it has been fascinating chatting with you. And well, it's been lovely talking to you, and thank you very, very much for... Uh, taking the uh, having the interest in reading my book and asking me such interesting questions.